Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Checking levels. Remember, in this episode, we are going to Cuba. So, that's, oh, that's right. We, we speak Spanish. Mm. Show me those hands. All right, let's do it. One, two, three. Hola a todos. Welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This time, we're having a wild card season. <laughs> we are discussing anyone for any reason. Even though it's wild, we still have the rules. The ladies have to have passed away and they have to have somehow be tied to the field of design and construction. Right. We want to focus on the ladies in the past that have influenced architecture and design today. Today, we'll be discussing Clara Porset, a furniture and interior designer from Cuba. I'm Norgeri Rivas. Riding the New Year wave in Houston, Texas. Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers, creating my list of New Year's resolutions in Miami, Florida. And I'm Lizzie Rar, settling back in after the holidays in San Francisco. All right. So for a quick disclaimer, the three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on the subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find. So if we get our fix, our fix a little maxed up. <laughs> If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, send us a comment, and we will all continue learning. Here we go. The time was May 25th, 1895. The place, Matanzas, Cuba. Clara Porset was born. Ooh, vamos pa' Cuba. All right, I never heard of this city in particular, but I don't know much about Cuban geography except for the Havana, the capital. Camagüe, because my Spanish teacher was from there, and Guantanamo, but mostly because of the song Guantanamera by Celia Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yes. Very excited to be headed to Cuba. I feel like I've heard of that city. It's a popular place. Yeah. 
Mm. Yes, it's a city rich in history. We can have a whole episode about it. It's like the birthplace of the music genres of rumba and danzón, which is the precursor to salsa. So I actually asked my dad about it and we ended up having a very deep discussion about that, which had nothing to do with architecture. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could have been part of that. Right. I recently got sucked into an Instagram rabbit hole looking into the history of different dance styles like salsa and rumba and how they came from Spanish speaking countries like Cuba. And they all have roots from Africa. It's really interesting. I found out that there is a style of dance that originated in Nicaragua, my maternal roots, FYI. I had no idea. But sorry, I'm bringing you into the rabbit hole deeper. So let's please continue. (laughs) I'm loving this dance side tangent that we're having. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Vamos a bailar. Vamos a bailar. Vamos a bailar, yeah. <laughs> On a different tangent, Matanzas was also the center stage for independence battles of Afro-Cubans and natives against the colonizers. So overall, there's a lot there to research about this town if you're interested in it like I am, but... I shouldn't deviate from Clara more than we have already. (laughs) Yeah, it all sounds really interesting, but let's pull it back to Clara. Yes, let's continue with Clara. But listeners, there is a very fascinating history when it comes to colonization of these countries. That is interesting to look at. The battles people fought, chiefs that would try to warn other chiefs in nearby islands and countries. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so... Clara was actually the daughter of one of the last colonizing families in the island, so she was born into wealth and political influence. Because of this, she had a lot of opportunities. At 16, she went to study at Manhattanville Academy in New York and graduated in 1914. She went back home to Cuba and took technical courses in architecture and design, That led her to attend Columbia University School of Fine Arts in 1925 to study art, architecture and design, and also the New York School of Interior Decoration, today named New York School of Interior Design. Oh, okay. So she definitely came from a place of privilege, especially to have been able to go to school in the States. Mm, Yeah, for sure. After that, she was like, Let's go to Europe and meet up with the Bauhaus peeps. Hmm. So she went over there to hang out with her buddies, Walter Gropius and Hans Emil Mayer, a.k.a. Hannes. (laughs) Casual. Yo, might as well. (laughs) Mm. We've talked about Gropius before, but I don't think we've mentioned Hannes before. Yeah, Mm. I think you're right. I don't remember talking about him before. Or honestly, who he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's been a minute since we've talked about the Bauhaus, but you are right. We have mentioned Gropius, but not Hannes. Hannes would be the second director of the Bauhaus. Mm, I see. Mm -hmm. A few of our ladies who've been associated with the Bauhaus are Cornelia Oberlander's parents from episode 53 and Lily Reich from episode 12. Yep. Yeah. So... You know, these guys were Clara's friends and mentors, but she's on a mission to travel around Europe. So she says, I got to get out of Germany. Go check out France. So from 1928 to 1931, she ends up in Paris where she does an internship with Henri Rapin while taking classes at the famous Ecole des Beaux-Arts, the Sorbonne and the Louvre. 
checking off all the schools around the world, it sounds like. This is giving right. me Florence Knoll vibes. Yes. Episode 48 and 49. For real? Checking off all of the places. <laughs> also, she must have been multilingual, gallivanting all over Europe and whatnot. No kidding. Right? Hmm. Her being multilingual didn't come up in my research, but that wouldn't surprise me at all. You're right. I mean, she had the money to be educated in different languages at the time. So maybe she also or I mean, maybe she also had the money to travel around with a translator. Mm -hmm. That's true. Who knows? All right. So the Ecole de Beaux-Arts, is this pre or post Julia Morgan? Post. Julia Mm. was there in the early 1900s. Mm. Yeah. So they probably didn't cross paths. Yeah, probably not. At least not there. Yeah. True. But glad I can thank Julia Morgan for being even allowed there. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's right. Episode three. You're the best, <laughs> Julia. <laughs> Hashtag love you forever. <laughs> yes. Okay. Back to Clara. So she's having a lot of fun traveling and learning all over Western Europe, as you can imagine. Mm. She even made it to Britain. She's really living it up. But it's been a few years since she's been home. And she probably missed the nice tropical weather, the yummy food, family perhaps. So she decided it was time to go back. She went back in 1932 and she started working there. She got a few jobs as a furniture designer. She was making furniture for homes and schools. As someone that moved back home just last year, I totally get Clara's sentiments. You know, I can feel it in my uh, espiritu. (laughs) (laughs) But that's really cool that she started furniture design, especially for schools. Yeah, but she was not only making furniture for education spaces. She was also educating people, giving lectures on modern design. She gave a lecture called La Decoración Interior Contemporánea, Su Adaptación al Tropico. Contemporary Interior Decoration, Its Adaptation to the Tropics. And... In that presentation, she laid out her interests and elements that would define her career moving forward. Similar to other ladies that we've discussed before, Clara was interested in that blend of the modernism that she picked up in her travels with the vernacular design of her tropical island. Ooh, very cool. Yeah, I love seeing how she's taking what she learned and adapting it to the culture of where she was at. During this time, she was also normalizing the use of the term interior design instead of interior decoration, in a way, elevating that role. Mm. So interior design was becoming more of a thing. Nice. I love to see it. Two years later, she was thriving in her professional life, but she felt something was still missing. So she decided she wanted to go back to Bauhaus and keep learning and working alongside all her modern mastermind friends. But... Walter Gropius was like, listen, girl, <laughs> do not go to Germany. Things are getting real dicey with the Nazis. Mm. It's not mm. good at all. Yeah. Long story short, forget the Bauhaus. Go to the United States to study under Joseph and Annie Albers. You know them. They used to be students and teachers there. So don't worry. Go, go to the U.S. Trust me on this. Forget Germany. Yes, listen to Walter. Oof. Yeah. I mean, dodged a bullet with that one, right? I mean, yikes. At least he warned her, though. I feel like, you know, yeah. like, yeah, give her the shirt up. 
But that's, that's so fun about Annie Albers. We mentioned her in our Florence Knoll episodes also, 48 and 49. She was a textile designer, I think, right? She was on our yes, bingo yes. board. That's all I remember. That's right. <laughs> so that's how Clara ended up in the experimental Black Mountain College in North Carolina. This is interesting. Okay, so we have not talked about this place before, but it looks like it was a popular school for artists. Yeah, so it was founded in 1933 by several people who used to be faculty at Rollins College in Florida, Mm. but they left the school when they refused to sign a loyalty pledge to the school, which is sort of interesting background. Mm -hmm. I don't know any more than that, but what were they asking? I don't know, but... (laughs) Instead, these four people went to the mountains of North Carolina near Asheville and started Black Mountain College. The idea of the school was to, quote, avoid the pitfalls of autocratic chancellors and trustees and allow for a more flexible curriculum. Hmm. And with the holistic aim to educate a student as a person and a citizen. And as Nurjudi said, the school was considered experimental and prioritized art as a necessary part of education, which meant that it drew a lot of interesting artist faculty to the school, such as Joseph and Annie, Buckminster Fuller, Gropius, and many others. That's so interesting. I didn't know all that. Thank you for sharing that, Lizzie. You're welcome. When we do a season on power couples again, I am so talking about Annie Albers. Mm -hmm. We briefly touched on her before, like you said, but anyway... Future episode alert. Yeah, definitely. All right. So she studied under the Albers in Black Mountain College for about a year. And by she, I mean Clara. Hmm. We're talking about Clara. Mm -hmm. Who this episode's about. And then she headed back to Cuba. She became the artistic director at the Escuela Tecnica para Mujeres. Technical school for women. Nice. Running the show. Yeah. Things seem to be going really well for Clara, but it turns out that she was not very happy with the political situation in Cuba. It was the 1930s. So for some background, boy, was there a lot going on. (laughs) The Super Reader's Digest version of this is that, okay, well, long, 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 long ago, Spain colonized Cuba. Cuba fought for independence. The U.S. got involved in 19, no, sorry, in 1898. When Clara was three years old, Spain lost the war and Cuba became sort of independent. Cuba had negotiated for independence, but the reality was that the U.S. was heavily involved in their internal affairs. So it was kind of like womp, 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 kind of, sort of, not really independence. (laughs) There were a lot of Cubans not happy about that. They were real unhappy with the Batista government. And Clara was one of those unhappy Cubans. And she was very vocal about it. So it became a matter of safety for her to leave the island in 1935. Oh, man. I'm really bummed for her that she had to leave. And I mean, there's so much that could be said about this situation all of the history, but it just sucks that Cuba sort of went from one country overseeing them to another. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel you on Mm, that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There is so much that could be said about how the U.S. gets involved and just colonization in general. So I'm curious to know where Clara ends up. She ended up in Mexico and she met the super influential painter Javier Guerrero and they end up falling in love and getting married. 
Oh, qué cute. See, very cute. And Javier Guerrero, he definitely was an artist that wasn't as recognized when he was living, but he was a muralist in Mexico City and was still active in the art scene. There was a period when he would actually live with other Mexican artists like Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo. Yeah, Javier was super connected in the Mexican art scene. So now, so is Clara. He opened her eyes to folk arts in Mexico and all the cool cat artists, which totally influenced her career moving forward. (laughs) I love that she was hanging out with Frida and Diego and all those folks. So tell us about what she got up to in Mexico. Yes. Now I want to see that Salma Hayek movie, Frida, to see if Clara would make an appearance somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, huh? Maybe. Let us know if you see it, Jessica. Yeah. At the wrap-up. Research. At the wrap-up. Yeah. In 1940, the Museum of Modern Art in New York sent out a request for proposal, RFP, for a competition called Organic Design in Home Furnishings. And they did something they had never done before. They included Latin American designers on the RFP. So they were expanding their net, which is nice. Thank you for including us, MoMA. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they finally got around to that. Abi, yay, inclusion. So Javier and Clara collaborated on pieces of furniture and submitted their work to this competition. The work that they submitted was exactly what Clara was all about. It was a product of vernacular Mexican materials like agave fibers, woven in forms that resonated with modern design, such as the colonial butaque chair. Whoa, agave furniture sounds really cool. I can't wait to see the photos in the show notes. Yes, it must be beautiful. Also, who knew you can make things with agave other than tequila? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Tequila furniture. Who knew? Yes. (laughs) I also think of agave syrup, but it's also Mm. really cool looking plant, you know. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that's true. So good news. Clara and Javier got in. Their furniture was in the exhibition. Bad news, very on brand, as people used to do in the 1940s. They totally forgot to include Clara and gave sole credit for the submission to Javier. Mm. Uh Uh-uh. I don't like this one bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I don't want to be a bembelequera, but one might say that this is just because she's a woman, which that alone is disgusting. But maybe also because she's not on great terms with the U.S. because of Batita. I mean, mm. I'm just saying. I mean, in actuality, right, I'm sure the U.S. government is not going out of their way to stop MoMA <laughs> from naming her in this <laughs> exhibition. <laughs> because Ooh. Batita told them to. But I'm making lots of assumptions when it's probably just good old sexism at work. Right? <laughs> yep. Right. I mean, mean, yeah, there are some items there working against her. First, her being a woman. Second, her political ties. It's just so annoying. I mean, yes, it's probably some speculation with the political stuff. But still, sexism is at play here. Yeah. Also, like Jessica said, Javier was a muralist and a painter. Mm -hmm. He was nowhere near furniture design before Clara popped into his life. Mm -hmm. He would not have even been involved in that competition, I bet, if it wasn't for Clara, you know? Yep. Even worse. She's the whole reason he even got his name into this exhibition. 
this is some big ass BS again. Yes. Always. All right. And for a little sparkle in that tea in my research, Javier wasn't even that great of an artist. Okay. I oh, would argue. Oh. Yep. I said it. It says it on, on Wikipedia, y'all. You can look it up. Hot takes. Hot. It's true. I would argue that he only got elevated when he worked and met Clara. But yeah, anyway, continue. Okay. So, <laughs> wow. It's a lot. I just dropped it. Dropped Speechless. a bomb right there. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue after I drop well, this razzle-dazzle. Despite that mishap, People in the industry knew what was up. They knew who to call when they wanted amazing furniture design. Clara Porset. Claro que sí. Claro. In the 1950s, Ruiz Galindo's Industries was one of the best furniture manufacturers in Mexico. And they said to anybody that would listen that Clara Porset was the finest furniture designer alive. Eso! That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. She worked with them on two collections, the E series, which was quality wood office furniture and the H series, which was metal office furniture. Those two collections became the most popular in the country because they were bueno, bonito, barato. <laughs> that means they were high quality, high design, durable and economical. Love it, love it, love it. Yay! Bueno, bonito y barato. It's hard to achieve all three, let me tell you. Architects, mm. y'all can relate when clients want something good, pretty, and cheap. So for Clara to be able to do it all, that's nice. Don't think that Clara was working exclusively with Ruiz Galindo's Industries. No, 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 no. Clara was everywhere. She was working with the most famous architects in Mexico at the time. Luis Barragan hired her to furnish the Pietro Lopez house and Galvez residence. Max Seto got her to design for his own home with Juan Sordo Madaleno. She did the interior design and furniture of the Paris movie theater. She's doing movie theaters, guys. Mm, That's a lot of chairs. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> she was also involved in hospital projects with Enrique Yanez. She did the interior design of the National Medical Center and the reception, as well as library and intern residence for the Hospital of the Race. Mm. I hope I find pictures of all of that so I can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Ooh, Baragan. Wow, this is a lot of really cool stuff that she was working on. I cannot wait to see those photos. Azúcar. Cuban phrase. I love this. Baragan was a very popular Mexican architect. Work that you can still see today. Stateside, he would collaborate and influence other well-known architects like Alvar Siza. And he would even collaborate with Louis Kahn at the Sulk Institute. Mm. While she was working making furniture for the masses, she was also living the museum life, curating exhibitions. She put together... Arte en la Vida Diaria, Exposición de Objetos de Buen Diseño Hechos en México. Art in the Daily Life, an exhibition of well-designed objects made in Mexico. This was really cool because she featured handmade custom items as well as mass-produced stuff, bringing art to the masses and showing them, hey, local accessible objects can be art too. 
That's really cool. I love that she's focusing on both ways of production and trying to show that local everyday items are artistic as well. Yes, this is giving me very much Lily Reich episode 12 vibes because Lily, she Mm. also did an exhibition on everyday objects. So this also reminds me of Clara's earlier influences with that Bauhaus director, Hannes. He also had a similar exhibition of objects. So it's cool to see how they all did similar things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This had a lot to do with her political philosophies, too. She believed in the power of the people, in the power of local she and her hubby were involved in the Communist Party, and that philosophy made it into their work as well as their art. I can see that happening. You know what? I realized when I was doing this, a few of the ladies that I have researched were communists. <laughs> While I can't say that I agree with their political philosophies, I do admit that I understand where they're coming from and how they wanted to make their work accessible to the masses. That's something that I believe in too that resonates with me so maybe this is why i gravitate towards those stories <laughs> i don't want people thinking i'm a communist i was gonna say nerd loves her a communist i mean <laughs> apparently <laughs> no but i understand what you mean that you agree with the community driven ideas i do now if i like doing stories on rich ladies nerd likes to do a story on a politically driven woman yeah, that's true. <laughs> I can get on board with that. Yes. It doesn't matter their, their, their affiliation. Yes, exactly. You, you like them. anyone who's involved with like community and politics. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. So let's go to the end of the 1950s. Speaking of communism. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> yes. Remember <bring> Clara? <laughs> Remember Clara was persona non grata in Cuba? Yes. Well, not anymore. Oh. Post-revolutionary Cuba welcomed Clara with open arms. Of course. Fidel Castro commissioned her to go back to her roots and design furniture for schools. From kindergarten to high education, you name it, Clara was doing it. I'm glad she was able to go back, though, and work in her home country doing what she loved. Did Javier go with her? In my five minutes of research, it never mentioned him going to Cuba. So who knows? But yay for Clara. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you that I actually wondered the same thing. And I searched for quite a while to see if I could find that. But nothing concretely mentioned that he lived in Cuba. So Mm -hmm. part of me thinks that he didn't go. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Like one source mentioned that he did some work for Fidel. So maybe he was there for a while. Or maybe he was going but, back and forth or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. But if I was a betting woman, which sometimes I am, <laughs> I would go with he stayed in Mexico. I see. So perhaps Clara goes to Cuba alone. We don't know. One of her biggest commissions during that time in Cuba was furniture for the school of Camilo Cienfuegos. They were new military boarding schools that represented the ideals and education of the revolutionaries. So that was a really big deal. Sounds like a great project for her to work on, but I'm not going to lie. Military boarding school sounds really intense. I don't think I would do well there. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, I've heard stories about these those types of schools, especially the ones in Cuba. I mean, imagine going to a military school, but you're like a child, like 10. Yeah. You know, um, but on a positive note, it's cool to think that Clara's work is there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, things came to an end in Cuba and Clara went back to Mexico in 1963. Don't ask me why she went back because I'm really not certain. I don't know why she went back. But mm. the fact is that I will say that she was promised that she could start a new design school in Cuba and then nothing happened. So I bet that didn't help. Mm. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Clara was like, voy a hacer café. She <laughs> knew it was time to get out since the projects she was promised weren't happening. Exactly. Um, but I also think maybe it could have something to do with the hubby, assuming that they were still together at the time, you know? Yeah, that's true. Like if her work yeah. isn't happening, then why am I separated from my husband? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought about that, too. I mean, I can't blame her for wanting to be with her husband. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So five years later, the designer Horacio Duran started an industrial design program at the National School of Architecture which is now part of the famous Mexican University, Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México, UNAM. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this university before. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we don't have to talk about it again in detail. <laughs> but anyway, Horacio started the industrial design program and invited Clara to give a seminar. And she was so good. They never let her go. She kept teaching there for the rest of her beautiful life. Lisa, we've definitely mentioned this school when we told the story of Concepcion, episode 16. See, that's so great that they wanted to hang on to her. Mm hmm. Yeah. In the last years of her life, when she couldn't go to school anymore, the students went to her house. Oh my gosh. Isn't that like total dedication? Yeah. Like for class? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it shows how much. She loved what she was doing of sharing her knowledge, but also how much the students valued what they had to learn from her that they would go all the way to her house. Mm -hmm. See, no me diga, this lady, she's so serious about her work. Like, <laughs> yes, she's bringing it home. Literally, literally, literally bringing it home. <laughs> it's really nice. And like you said, it's a testament to how much her students respected and wanted to learn from her. I also yeah. bet her house was real cool. Professors and architects always have cool houses with cool knickknacks. And with an artist for a husband, must have been fun to visit. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. In 1971, the National Institute of Fine Arts awarded Clara their gold medal in recognition of Clara as a pioneer of Mexican modern design. Amazing. Eso. Bien hecho. In the last years of her life, Clara lived in Chimalistic, Mexico, which I've been meaning to Google map, but I haven't yet. So I just wanted to see how far away that her house was from UNAM. It's close. I looked. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. So speaking of the university, she donated her research, her papers and all her collections to the architecture school because remember, industrial design department was part of the architecture school. Así se tiene que hacer. Eso. I wish all of our ladies would do this. Whenever I think of this, <laughs> I just think about Julia Morgan and her anti-documentation. But ya no empecemos. Because that lady ugh, just keeps... Anyway, let's continue. <laughs> We're See, never going to get over that. Never. See, <laughs> Julia really started us off with a poor example. Be more like Clara, ladies. Yes. 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 <laughs> 
I thought it was so interesting that industrial design was a part of the architecture school umbrella. I just wanted to say that because mm. that goes to show the strong link that exists within those two professions. Yeah. Yes. So back in my high school, listeners, remember, I went to a design school, blah, 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 in Miami, all the cool things, stuff. Um, anyway, they had an industrial design program. And I remember collaborating with those students because there was definitely an overlap between the two industries. Yeah. Well, Clara passed away at 86 years old in 1981. In her will, she stipulated her home should be sold. And with that money, they should start a scholarship for women to study industrial design. That's how the Clara Porcet Award was born. Though it took years to get it off the ground, the first award was given in 1993. I love that an award was started because of her even though it sounds like it took a while to get it going, but I'm glad that it finally did. Asukat! Okay, last one, I promise. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> the university built the Clara Porcet Library to house everything she donated. Her papers, collections, all the things. Park Venture much? See? Thank you. Yes. Some people call the Clara Porcet Library the best design library in the country. That's high praise. We'll have to go see it for ourselves. Claro que sí. See? Clara was such a joy to research. There's just so much information out there about her, her iconic work. I really like to do a charrette on her famous chairs in the future. Mm. But for today, let me end her story with a quote from her. There is design in everything. In a cloud, in a wall, in the sea, on a wave natural or made by man there is design in everything beautiful all right time for lizzie to introduce the karyatid portion of the episode a karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a greek or greek style building each episode will choose a karyatid a woman who is working today furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode this week's karyatid is... <laughs> Patricia Ukiola Hidalgo! Patricia! Patricia Ukiola Hidalgo is a Spanish industrial designer and architect based in Milan. She studied architecture at the Polytechnic University of Milan, where she graduated in 1989. Through her career, she's been an assistant lecturer, worked with many well-known designers such as Achille Castiglioni and Vico Magistretti. She was the head of design for Lisoni Associati. And in 2001, she decided to open up her own firm. Ooh, cool. I would have loved to study in Milan. Doing a semester in Florence was great, but there was something refreshingly modern in Milan that I liked. Yeah, Milan was super nice. Mm -hmm. Her projects are all over the map. The Museum of Jewelry in Vicenza, Hotel Mandarin Oriental in Barcelona, retail and displays for Casina, BMW, Ferragamo, Floss, H&M. She has done product and furniture design for numerous people and companies. I'll name three. De Padova, Hayworth, Cartel, Louis Vuitton, Moroso. Sorry, I couldn't stop at three, but I'll stop now. <laughs> and then this lady, <laughs> she's 
real sought out, just like Clara was. Yeah, dang. That's so many like big names. Also, yes. Hayworth from Holland, Michigan, folks. Oh, hey. Yeah. That's what's up. Also, Ferragamo, Louis Vuitton, très fancy. Mm-hmm. I love it. Patricia's work has been part of museum exhibitions, and some of it was part of the permanent collection of a bunch of museums like MoMA in New York and a museum in Philadelphia and one in Europe. There, she's all over the place, I'm telling you. In 2011, King Juan Carlos I of Spain awarded the Medalla de Oro al Mérito en las Bellas Artes and the Order of Isabella the Catholic. So to me... This means that this lady is a dame in Spain. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's how that award works, but it sounds real fancy no matter what. Yeah, (laughs) it does. Yeah. It's like giving me the dame in Spain falls mainly in the plane. Like (laughs) when you said that, I just had a moment. The dame in Spain. Right. But yeah, (laughs) but it's clear that like she was being recognized and I'm glad that, uh, Everyone is realizing how great she is. Yeah. Also, I wonder what's the Spanish equivalent of a dame. Like, oh, true. You know, like Senora Patricia de los Bella Artes. I don't know. Just Doña Patricia. Doña Patricia. Dama. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Dama. Dama. I tried we to look that I up. I asked my later. mom and she said Senora Patricia, but I don't know. We Yeah. yeah. Spaniards help but us out. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it's so cool that she's part of permanent collections in multiple museums. Yeah. Like I really want to go check those out. Yeah. That's really cool. She's been named one of the most lauded and in-demand industrial designers in Europe. Ooh. She is the real deal, just like Clara. Clearly. Eso. Before we say adios, we want to say gracias to CMYK for the music John W., our technical producer, and most of all, muchas gracias to you for listening. We also want to give a special shout out to Un Dia Una Arquitecta, one of my favorite resources, which is where I found a large portion of the story that I share today. Muchas, muchas gracias for your work, Un Dia Una Arquitecta, and all the information you share with the world. Remember, y'all, to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of projects that we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Clara and Patricia along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, muchas gracias. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media, you ask, it is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your furniture designers, your curators, your muralists, your communists, your... (laughs) (laughs) You're not famous Politicians, tell them all. Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com. 
Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at SheBuilds Podcast and on Twitter at SheBuilds Pod. Until then, hasta luego. Ciao. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.